Welcome to Embedded Finance Unplugged, the podcast series from Andaria, focusing on all aspects of embedded finance with me, your host, Graham Barrett. Embedded finance, the seamless integration of financial services into non-financial offerings, has quickly become one of the most disruptive and valuable sectors in fintech. Its meteoric rise and ubiquity mean it is projected to reach a value of $7 trillion globally over the next 10 years. How has this happened? How does it work? And how will it continue to transform the financial sector? These are just some of the questions we'll endeavor to answer with my guest, Nirav Patel, CEO of Andaria. Nirav, nice to see you and welcome to the podcast. Fantastic to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's going to be great. And I'm really excited to chat about all things embedded finance, embedded payments. What I thought we could do to start with is just try and put things in context sure. for our listeners, if, if that's okay. So, I mean, embedded finance wasn't even spoken of, what, five years ago? Yeah. And suddenly now it's going to be a, what, a multi-trillion dollar industry over the coming decade. How have we got to this point? Absolutely. And I think the place to start is technology advancement. And I, without kind of maybe taking machine learning and AI, which is a very much a here and now, over the last five years, we've seen a growth in API suites, for example, or the growth of, of APIs, if you like, and naturally the evolution of fintech. That's really very much come about, I'd say, arguably over the last 10 years or so, but has been a, a really key driver in the industry in giving birth to embedded payments as a whole. Now, with the demand or growth of digitization, if you like, within platforms or ecosystems, there's been a growing need from customers to ensure that there's a seamless user experience. And I think that is also a big driver for embedded finance as a whole. And the reason for that is individuals, businesses don't necessarily like jumping between platforms to go and execute a payment. Mm -hmm. And I think that streamlined nature essentially drives the growth of, of what is embedded finance. I think alongside all of that, and with kind of the melting pot, if you like, so be it the technology advancements, be it the kind of demand from consumers, actually even throw in COVID into the mix, which kind of streamlined what digitization is and, and really kind of accelerated the growth there, is given rise to a melting pot of opportunity. And where there's a melting pot, effectively, you've got the opportunity from an innovation perspective. So entrepreneurs, for example, have come in and really taken that by the scruff of the neck and realised there's an opportunity there. And that opportunity has also been accompanied with uh, regulation changes, the rise of open banking, for example. So all of these various or different unrelated facets, arguably, have all come together to give rise to embedded finance. There was an earlier iteration of, of embedded finance by the name of banking as a service. And again, there's a very clear distinction to be had there with banking as a service really being focused on financial institutions and really embedded finance kind of in the non-FI space, if you like. You then, with the opportunity, there's investors out there that naturally want to kind of follow that growth. As the embedded finance industry really came to fruition, investors naturally have been backing that. That, again, drives more opportunity, means there's more focus from an innovation perspective. So it's that domino effect, which has just kind of given rise to what we're seeing from an embedded finance point of view today. And you've alluded to many of these things in, in your first answer there. But what specific problems is embedded finance solving? I think I touched on a couple, but again, happy to, to kind of reiterate. And actually, let, let's maybe take a, a step slightly back. I think access to financial services, while maybe in somewhere more developed like the UK, it's still an issue, but less of an issue. 
But with what digitization has brought to the table is essentially that access to FS and embedded goes that one step further. You've arguably got people that may have kind of access to social media platforms than they will to maybe banking services. And if you bring that all into one, that reduction of that friction, if you like, means getting an account addresses access to financial services as a whole. Seamless user experience, again, from our client's perspective, if you like, there really is a driver to have stickiness on their platform. The user at the same time wants to ensure that they've got that seamless operability throughout the platform. Cost efficiency is a huge driver. Traditionally, you would have been at the, at the mercy, um, I say that in jest, but at the mercy of the, of the bigger banks in terms of they effectively pass on their heavy infrastructure costs downstream. You may not see it in your daily current account, but elsewhere you're getting pinged everywhere, right? And because you don't see it on a one-for-one, whereas I think with the rise of what we're doing and the rise of fintechs, effectively what you've seen is just a streamlining cost and effectively what would have been a cost on the bottom line turning into a revenue stream for, for potential clients. So I think that's a big driver. Data, I think, is going to be huge. I think the fact that you've got the ability to understand spending patterns, what works, what doesn't work for, for individuals, allows you to create solutions and products that are personalized. And I think that's a very big tool for where things are going just in general from a, I guess, from a financial services perspective. I touched on the reduced friction a little bit earlier. I can't remember the stat, but something like when you're in an e-commerce platform, for example, the fact that you have to jump to another payment page to go and finalize that payment results in dropouts. And this is now keeping you kind of seamless and just in that journey, just allowing you to finish that overall journey end to end, which means overall you've just got upside when you're thinking about an e-commerce platform. Other elements is cross-border, typically has always been difficult to navigate. You're dealing with multiple jurisdictions. I think, again, with the element of interoperability that's rising in that space as a result of embedded finance, it now allows anyone operating in that international space to drive efficiencies, reduction in costs, typically or historically, again, was held in the power of the big corresponding banks. Now you could arguably go and plug in uh, to a local clearinghouse, which allows you to plug into, I don't know, US dollar payments, for example, directly. And you're not at the mercy of a Citibank or a JP Morgan, which again, drives down cost on, on the bottom line. Now you're on the front line, so to speak, speaking to businesses about their priorities when it comes to embedded solutions what are they telling you what what do they want I think first and foremost there is an element of education and because I'd say embedded finance as a whole I wouldn't call it quite it's not mature and it's Mm. definitely in I'd say beyond a teenager probably just prior to an adolescent I mean (laughs) adolescence if you like and what that means is there's a gap to a certain degree in education. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the factors. So for, again, that's maybe more us than, than kind of our clients. But I think that's a factor for us to bridge as a gap. But on the other side of that, what I feel we would be giving in terms of what SMEs effectively need to look out for, if you like, I mean, there's a number of things, but in no real, I guess, not in order, but I guess ultimately the ability to integrate into their existing platform is mm-hmm. key. What they don't want to do is disrupt their consumer journey. Mm -hmm. Um, So the UI, UX from from their customer's perspective has to be seamless. So they need to find a partner that has the ability to, number one, understand that, and then the ability to go and integrate and provide that offering as efficiently as possible. Cost for any SME or business or any one of our clients is naturally going to be key. Mm -hmm. And then you couple that with return on investment. So 
Again, profitability, does it make sense? Is this the right partner from a cost perspective? So there's cost efficiency and return on investment. Over above that, SMEs and businesses and, and clients generally are growing and therefore scalability, I think, is a huge factor. You need to be able to grasp and scope whether the potential embedded solution can scale as you scale. I touched on data earlier. I think the ability to not only get hold of that data, but what is your embedded service provider essentially giving you in terms of insights? Is there a reporting suite? Is there something that allows you to go and handle that data and make it meaningful? Because it's all good and well having a load of data at hand, but if you can't process it and analyze it, it's effectively not worth the paper it's written on. I think another big one, especially going into an area where typically it isn't the focus for a, a client of ours or anyone's for that matter, is uh, customer support, particularly when it's related to the payments or finance side of things. So I think effectively having solid SLAs, service level agreements in place, I think a, a potential client would need to understand that quite well. And I think overall, anyone's kind of potential client's ecosystem is not solely built on one provider. So that word again, interoperability between other providers, I think is also a key factor to in the overall assessment. Yeah. Now, you spoke about cross-border payments earlier. What about financial security? How how do you ensure that with all of these payments pinging across the world? Absolutely. And again, in an environment where effectively everything is moving to the online world, if you like. Mm -hmm. So security, I think, is paramount in terms of how that is addressed and how that's factored. I think at the very top of that tree is ensuring you're moving with the advancements of technology. A lot easier said than done, (laughs) naturally. And I think one of the big things that will ensure that that's continued is, I guess, the ability to be able to collaborate globally, Mm -hmm. if you like. And what I mean by that is, as regulations change, as technology advances, as fraudsters and how they operate advance, that sharing that knowledge base, I think, is Mm -hmm. is kind of the key. And then it really comes down to tools, right? And and there's a number of tools out there and there'll be a huge number of tools that will mm. will kind of come to fruition as, as things evolve. Tokenization, yeah. for example, that's key in terms of security and handling sensitive data. Encryption, again, is key. A big one will be MFA, so multi-factor authentication. And again, to give you a direct example on that one is effectively because we are integrating our technology into our client, we still need to ensure that whoever is logging in to our client's client effectively Mm -hmm. is who they say they are. We ensure that we deliver that by embedding an SDK, a software development kit effectively into our client, which circumvents them at the point of login. And that gives us the comfort that we're adhering to regulation. And again, that's another factor. So as regulations change, that security Mm -hmm. keeps up with regulations, so I think that's just a, a bit of a flavour. It's an ever-evolving picture, isn't it? Is. it? It's not like, well, we've got the security in place, job done. Absolutely. It's something that, that you will have to keep addressing. Exactly. Yeah. Let's talk about sectors a little bit, because I guess really any business, uh, as you said, who, that's got some kind of platform could introduce embedded finance solutions. But are there particular sectors that are better suited, would you say? Honestly, I could roll off a list of of sectors, if you like. Mm -hmm. But the beauty of what embedded finance brings to the table, and you can use platforms. I I tend to use the word ecosystem Mm -hmm. because an ecosystem can be a combination of buyers, sellers, a marketplace. I mean, ultimately, it could be anything that has a group of individuals, businesses within a certain environment. And I think that's the beauty of it. Ultimately, It also requires an element of readiness on the potential opportunity to take up embedded finance. Mm -hmm. I think that's also a key factor. 
But again, just to maybe answer your question directly, what are some of those sectors? Yeah. One that we feel is is massively untouched is agritech. That can be as far ranging as the supplier logistics of farmers, if you like, farmers okay. to supermarkets, to as interesting as kind of wine and grape growers to wine bottlers and that type of thing. Okay, that's interesting. So give us an example. So for example, and I, and I won't mention names at this stage, yeah. but we're in conversation with someone within the wine industry, for example. Okay. And there are inherent issues around supply logistics, as there are in many industries, but coupled with what is required in terms of adherence to laws and regulations, submission of import-export documentation, we can provide this overlaying solution that not only addresses the payments element of where the issues are around the supplier chain logistics, but also around the mechanics of right, how do I submit the right forms to ensure that the grapes contain X have been grown in, in a certain way, and this is how we can kind of add that to the payment solutions to give that market or that segment what is a, a very interesting opportunity. Okay. So agri-tech, any other sectors that you particularly uh, like to highlight? Yeah, yeah. so we're, we're actually, again, unable to mention names, unfortunately, yeah. at this stage. We're, we're just in the midst of working with, and I, I kind of touched on earlier, non-financial services platform. This is actually a financial services right. um, platform, funnily enough in the um, investment space so commissionless trading and it's quite a simple solution we're offering our multi-currency iban opportunity to bring effectively a cost saving to an existing client base of around three and a half million consumers allows them to credit their investment account in any currency without incurring fx fees and we're able to do that because of the underlying solution that we yeah. have. That scalability is super interesting because that takes us arguably from zero to three and a half million yeah. very, very quickly. And I think that's the beauty, again, of, of what yeah. embedded finance brings to the table. Yeah, I mean, I think you've shown the breadth there already, haven't you? Yeah. A financial institution to a winemaker. Exactly. So, exactly. You know, so that, that's huge. Now, let's look at kind of the business around this, if you like, and the competition. There are obviously a number of companies trying to solve these issues, including Andira, obviously. Can they all coexist or will we see a dominant player emerge? I'll be honest, because of the breadth of, of what we just touched on, mm. I don't think you'll ever see a dominant player. Mm. You'll see market share grab, but I think you'll see that ebb and flow naturally. Mm. To answer your, your main question, if you like, for sure, there is plenty of room and I'd implore for more businesses or, or kind of competition in inverted commas to, to enter the space. Yeah. And there's a number of reasons because, again, within a healthy ecosystem, using that word again, the ability to ensure that everyone pushes needs competition, but it needs innovation. Mm -hmm. And that innovation breeds more opportunity, mm -hmm. it breeds niches. And I think the vastness of what this industry is and will become means that there is plenty of room for more and more players and they will find their spots and those spots will evolve as there's more innovation i think there's more opportunity for those already existing in the space mm -hmm. but also for new entrants to enter the market the other key element is is we are very much on a license perspective focused on the uk and europe and that's predicated on the licenses that we have. But I think it's very important to understand that there are regional differences, not only on 
based on regulation, but how embedded finance is deemed or how it, how it looks from a, a Joe Blogs on the ground perspective. So I think having more players allows you to kind of narrow that gap in knowledge base of how regions can manage and understand embedded finance as a whole. And I think that benefits the industry as a whole. So that's the, yeah, that's the industry as a whole, the marketplace as a whole, as it were. What about specifically Andaria now? You know, let's, sure. let's talk about what you're doing. What do you see as the biggest opportunities? What is your core focus? From our perspective, it's ensuring that we are customer-led. And what I mean by that is we we don't necessarily go out there and create bespoke solutions, but mm-hmm. what we do do is take our baseline or our foundation of what our solution is and apply that to the scenario of, of our client, if you yeah. like. And that flexibility and agility is very key in order for us to really become the go-to provider Mm. in this space. And I think you overlay that from a security standpoint. I feel those two facets, along with what is our core product and the innovation of that core product, is really what's going to see Andaria take off. In terms of what's our focus, I think we're going to be very much sector-driven in terms of the approach that we've had so far. We've identified gaps. We touched on agritech, for example. What we haven't touched on, for example, is insurtech. So we're looking at that as a very much a go-to industry to really get this off the ground. Again, the beauty of it is that we necessarily, while the opportunity is very far and wide, I think our focus will be on the niches that we're creating today. So I touched on kind of the commissionless trading. I touched on insure tech. I've touched on agritech, as I said. Those are some key areas. The other side is that we're very much at the infancy of our journey on this roadmap. And innovation will also play a key role in ensuring that we go and do what we plan to do. So I think the evolution of embedded finance from payments through to lending through to all the other facets, I think that will be key for us in our journey to Mm. go and deliver what we're aiming to do. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the word bespoke earlier. Do you expect your offering to become more bespoke as we go further down the road? The simple answer would be yes, but Mm. I think that would be slightly disingenuous, (laughs) if I'm honest. If we bring that to realism, you can't be bespoke to every single client. You'd only be able to offer a solution to one client and that wouldn't then be able to be used elsewhere. So I think, as I said, we take a foundation of the baseline of what we offer. That's Mm -hmm. kind of the core product. And then where the bespokeness, if that's even a word, (laughs) comes into play is that kind of that last mile piece is, Mm -hmm. right, what does that client need to look or what are they looking for exactly? So it's not kind of an evolution of the core foundation of the product, Mm -hmm. but more in just maybe how it's delivered on our client's platform. Yeah. And what about embedded finance as a whole? How do you think that that's going to evolve? Because to be honest, by the sounds of it, we're only really scratching the surface here, aren't we? We we are. We are, absolutely. I think the deeper integrations go, I think you will naturally see a wider adoption in the market. That's coupled with education, naturally, as embedded payments becomes as OFEA's current accounts. I think you'll see a natural adoption within the industry. Again, in already arguably what is a very global economy, that global expansion into new jurisdictions will have a a domino effect Mm. on the adoption, on the deeper integration. So it, it very much is that domino effect. And I think we're seeing that in Europe for sure. I think the US is maybe slightly behind the curve with respect to embedded, but not, not a million miles away. Arguably those in Silicon Valley may, may say different. The interesting global markets, again, just having read some things that are happening, I guess, globally, India as a, as a jurisdiction looks very, very interesting. Uh, typically or notoriously very difficult to get into. But again, the opportunity there for what is a sixth of the world's population yeah. clearly has its draws. 
I think reg development, so regulatory development and how they evolve, I think that may to a certain degree be a hindrance. I think if authorities or regulation can evolve as embedded finance evolves, I think that will be key. It won't be a hindrance to the extent that I expect it to stop the momentum, but it could cause some divots in in the journey, if you like. The other one is blockchain. There's a ton of Mm. opportunities, but blockchain and taking blockchain maybe away from just cryptocurrency as a use case, Mm -hmm. utilizing it through ID. I think there's a mass adoption there. So as mass adoption happens in blockchain and crypto, there'll be a knock-on effect for embedded finance. Yeah. What about artificial intelligence? Obviously, that's a buzzword in any sector at the moment. How is is that going to play into embedded finance? I think it's going to play a major role. The new players in that space are going to be very interesting. Mm. And I mean, we're already seeing it in, for example, in transaction monitoring. And for those that who kind of aren't familiar with that, it's kind of as a payment or a transaction comes through, we use a tool to monitor from a fraud or or Mm -hmm. money laundering perspective. And that's very much taking on the guise of AI now and AI solutions are popping up. And that's one small facet of where AI can really be involved in that space. I think the opportunity there is remains to be seen. I wouldn't call myself a skeptic, but I think there needs to be an element of regulation and control around Mm. AI. But there is definitely opportunity in that space. Because as we discussed earlier, a key focus for any SMEs that you're speaking to is that security. Exactly. So, so they have to be assured that that is in place. And that's it. And I think AI as a whole is, again, infant. The use cases are endless and the mm. opportunities are endless. But until there is some form of time spent really getting to understand how the industry is operating, where the pitfalls are, anyone needs to understand where those pitfalls are. But again, not to say that the opportunities aren't huge in that space. Yeah, sure. And just on a personal level, what what are you most excited about in the the next year, next couple of years? I think our journey, we have, again, I'm really proud to say some some amazing people at Andaria. And I think it's very much a watch this space. I think in the next kind of 12 to 18 months, you'll really see us make a splash and really be the go-to provider for embedded finance. Listen, it's going to be fascinating to watch that journey and the various twists and turns in the industry as a whole. Nirav Patel, thank you so much for your time and insights today. Thank you. There are plenty more conversations to explore as part of this Embedded Finance Unplugged podcast series. Please like, follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please do give us a positive rating and review. You can find out more about how Andaria is broadening access to digital financial services for businesses around the globe at andaria.com. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye.